This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. So folks, we have on, our, um, uh, on this conference call today, it's 30 minutes long, and we're going to talk about some of the strategic trends or disruptors that are happening, happening in higher education today. Uh, what we're going to do is work with our panel and, and ex- take the, pop the hood open on some of these issues, and we're going to get a real well-rounded uh, point of view on what's going on. And I think you're going to find this to be really interesting. At the end of the, uh, at the, end of the call, we'll open this up to uh, anybody who has questions or comments about what we've, uh, we're going to talk about today. So that's our agenda, and we'll work, do our best to stay to 30 minutes. If you want to multitask, if you're in the, I guess I shouldn't say you should be in the car and listening, but, uh, or if you're on your computer, that's great. So let's begin, we'll do some quick introductions. We have on the call uh, Shane Sparks, who's a co-founder of Enrollment Resources, who has a really strong understanding of best practice in many areas of higher education. Uh, we have, now I'm, uh, I'm hearing some crunchy noise. So the panelists, if you could pull the microphone away from your face a bit, if you're wearing a mic, great. Uh, we have Ryan Bush, who is a higher education publisher extraordinaire. Ryan, what is your main publication that you're uh, offering right now? Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Greg. Uh, today's campus. Today's campus is the uh, is the main uh, uh, opportunity that we have out there for readers to kind of connect with uh, higher ed uh, business leaders and um, uh, advertisers to connect with people that way. And uh, we we just launched a new publication called the uh, College Parents Student Success Handbook, and it's really uh, directed towards uh, the parents of entering college students, helping them prepare for uh, uh, what they're about to face by sending their kids off to college. Great. Well, welcome aboard. Uh, Thank you. We also, ha- we also have Martin Lind on board, who is the Education Vertical Leader for Leeds 360, which is an outstanding uh, CRM, uh, really enrollment management uh, platform. And, uh, and Martin has a real unique uh, uh, take on, on higher education, given that he has access to best practice through uh, statistics that are run by his company. So welcome, Martin. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And uh, we have Fred Carini on board. And Fred is a, a guy who always, whenever he opens his mouth, he always has something insightful to say. And he's an uh, experienced school leader. And uh, Fred leads, uh, uh, is a key uh, executive with the Milan Group. And uh, Fred has done virtually every type of job in private higher education you could care to muster. So uh, Fred's perspective is, is very much appreciated. So welcome, Fred. Thank you. I guess I'm ready to retire from what it sounds like. Yeah, you're getting along with the maybe. Or... <laughs> okay, so you bet. So we're going to talk about three major disruptors that we see coming down the pipe. And then if anyone on the panelists at the end wants to chime in with one that they see as well, it's just kind of a free-flowing conversation. So the first disruptor that we see coming down the pipe for higher education is governments they are contracting and the dollars for student loans and the block funding for not-for-profit schools are starting to starting to shrink and uh, and right now the US is about a hundred trillion in debt collectively when you factor in entitlements and 
and education is about 10% of GDP, so uh, now up to around 12%. So what we want to do is ask our rabble-rousing panel here about your views on, A, do you believe that government budgets are contracting? And, and so let's start with uh, Fred Carini. Do I believe government contracts are, or what did you say, government budgets are contracting? Boy, that's a loaded yeah, question. Yes, it is. Well, you know, as we all know, the government's going to do what the government wants to do. Um, we have to kind of, you know, hold our ground firm and, and fight back. Uh, they are definitely making it much more challenging for us in, in many ways uh, in taking away the opportunities for uh, 10 money. I think that's what you're alluding to right now is, is yes. yeah. Um, you know, they're, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're pushing us into a corner because, you know, with the way the economy has been, is and will be for the foreseeable future um, with market fatigue and consumer confidence being very low and as low as it could be, and really people finding daily challenges and meeting their basic financial needs. Um, <clears throat> you know, obviously it depends on our schools, you know, what your demographic pool is. And for most of us, we're pulling from the same demographic, that 18 to 34 underemployed or unemployed individual that has not completed uh, much education beyond high school, and so economically they're very challenged. So you know we're 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 being painted into a picture, and plus other third-party sources, they're they're whittling away from us, and um, you know we're finding it a challenge. We're finding it a challenge to to meet that ten, um, uh, and and trying to navigate through that. And I think we're all going to have to find our own way. Uh, to meet that, uh, whether it is coming up with uh, short-term seminar-type programs that meet the government's uh, <clears throat> requirements uh, for that 10 money, um, uh, you know, tuition, you know, raising tuition isn't a good idea. I mean, um, people, okay, so aren't even, people aren't even able to, to, to afford a $100 registration fee. So go so, ahead. So, so Ryan, so Fritz laid out some inf interesting points of view there. What are your thoughts, uh, Greg? You know, I think well, actually, something that's really been on um, on my radar here has been the incentive compensation rules um, for higher ed. That's definitely you know related to um, uh, everything re revolving around financial aid and. The um, I, I just got you know I just got noticed recently that um, there there was a um, there, you know there's a suit filed by APSEU challenging these rules, and um, the the court decided um, that they are going to up, uphold those rules, um, and so knowing knowing that um, you know that things aren't going to be uh, that everyone was really hoping that those rules were going to disappear or change, but they're, they're not. So knowing that, I think we're on track right now for a lot of effect in, in the marketing circles um, and a lot of effect out there in the industry at, at large related to higher ed. I, I don't know exactly what I would say about the 90-10 situation related, related well, to well, that. Well, Ryan, what it really is about is, is that government, uh, they, they're contracting uh, funding levels all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so really it's about shrinking um, the, the sh 
shrinking um, budgets as it relates to what has been versus what will be. Shane, what are your thoughts on this? Do you, do you think the U.S. government is, in fact, shrinking their overall uh, budget opportunity for education, or is that folly? Or? Well, yeah, I think probably. It, you know, it'll probably depend on who gets in. If the Democrats stay in, then it'd probably shrink less than if Republicans get in in some ways. I think there's probably more uh, uh, political interest in supporting the the, the public not-for-profit sector than the for private uh, private for-profit sector. So I think first schools why would have been under attack. <laughs> so why, well, why would you think, say that? Well, I think part, partly it's, you know, the legislation that was initiated by Harkin that we've all been dealing with for the last, I guess, year or so now and prepping for for really two years. And um, the, the kind of anti or the, the, the kind of institutionalized negativity towards career education. So I don't think that's a surprise. I think, yeah, given deficits and what's going on in Europe and just, you know, general financial problems, money's got to come from somewhere, and it's, uh, education's probably going to be one of the places. Shane, yeah, uh, this is... This is Ryan again. I was going to, um, I, I should add to that though too, maybe one of the indicators um, um, uh, related to all this should also be um, the, the, the public sector side of higher education. Um, I, did, I did an interview with uh, Michael Crow, the, the president of Arizona State University yesterday. And um, in, in researching and reading for that interview, I was looking through some of Michael's presentations that he's given recently, and he has a, a particular slide in a presentation that he did showing um, how state funding or how, how uh, government, uh, federal funding is, is falling away from um, the public sector schools as well. And mm -hmm. Arizona State University is, I think, at the top of, of this whole chain of different uh, schools. Arizona is, gonna, is number five out of, uh, out of 50 states. Uh, on track to lose um, lose all public funding support um, in in the next um, for in the foreseeable future if it continues that way. So if if the public sector schools are facing that kind of challenge, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that that pressure is going to be applied uh, to the for-profit sector um, as well. So if we're seeing that, that's a, I think a definite indicator at large that that budgets are are a challenge right now. So yeah. when, uh, Martin, when uh, there's a scarcity mentality, it creates behavior change, I guess, hey? Martin? Sorry, I was on mute. I was on mute. My bad. Um, it was very insightful what I just said, though. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and to follow up with, with what Ryan said, I mean, you know, we're down in Los Angeles, and UCLA um, has this pretty spectacular business school, the Anderson School of Gov uh, Business. And it was just in the LA Times today, so very timely, that the schools moving towards getting rid of state funding so they can do their own thing, raise their own money, and actually get the top business professors because right now when they're tied to the state, they have to follow the state rules, take only state money. You know, it's, it, there's, the limitations are a lot, uh, a lot there. And so that's a pretty big sea change when exactly what Ryan was saying, when the state schools see that maybe there is some problems with those ties. Going back to what you're saying, yes, you know, the scarcity issue um, definitely um, will drive up the need for people to have smarter processes. Ah, interesting. Okay. So that, that really takes us, segues us perfectly to our, our next disruptor, 
and that is um, the Department of Education or, or their corresponding state bodies or the workforce panels or the consumer advocacy groups, pick your regulatory body, really, uh, continue to try and ratchet up the red regulations for schools. Uh, an example is uh, recent weeks uh, within the Department of Education, Harkin Hagen, uh, trying to push through or initiate legislation, wanting those who are Title IV schools to not reinvest in any business side of education, namely marketing or recruiting. So if 80% of your students are Title IV students uh, you and you're taking some of that revenue traditionally to pay for admissions reps and, and marketing, you would no longer be able to do that. So that is one example of many regulations that are just continually being ratcheted down. This APSU challenge that failed would be another. So we're, we're stuck with incentivized compensation and all the implications that I think people really fully don't quite comprehend. And what I was hoping within, we have four very smart people on the panel, we could try to create some clarity around that. So I'm going to start with, uh, let's see, Ryan. We're going to start with Ryan. What are your your insights as a journalist, Ryan, around what's going on here? Greg, are you? Um, let me ask. Let me ask you to kind of frame the question with me a little bit more. Um, are you looking at um, processes that um, could could better optimize what what how people are actually budgeting and spending and and working to kind of achieve the results that they need so that the money is being spent in the right way? No, I'm. Uh, I'm more saying really along the lines of uh, there, there are these external regulatory bodies that are almost okay. in a wanton fashion kind of ratcheting down the ability for schools to move uh, in a business context. So Yeah, so I think that, I, I, I think that first off, um, I, 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 as, as, as rough as regulation can be from any of these different groups, um, I think it's something that can actually be respected in a in a in a way that is um, advantageous to the people that are that are involved in the industry. Um, open open industries industries without much regulation at all um, face pretty stiff competition in in a in a number of different ways. And if you're looking at accrediting bodies or state rules or federal rules, and you have all these different layers of rules. Um, I think it's an opportunity for everybody out there to kind of um, learn, be, be the best at those at those at those different situations. Um, my my personal feeling is that, um, in particular, career schools do have that those kind of added pressures on there, but they're not that different in the end from any type of of regulated organization, financial, healthcare, um, um, the. Um, uh, at least financial and healthcare from those those regards, is that they deliver um, uh, you know significantly complex public services, and that there should be some layer of of controls in that that meet levels of expectation. So I think it's a, a matter of when it comes to the regulatory bodies, hoping that they have good alignment uh, together and seeking to make sure that they're not um, forcing 
forcing uh, institutions to uh, hold one set of rules for this group and, and a completely different set of rules for another group. And I think that's the, the, the biggest pressure for regulatory, um, regulatory bodies out there, is if they're in conflict with, with regulations from two different areas, um, it, it provides a, an, a, you know, a, a challenge that really can't be met fairly in that way. So that, that's, well, that's my feeling about regula regulatory involvement out there is that it should be um, best construed as, as making sure that it aligns properly, that each layer has the right aspects of what, uh, of what they are trying to achieve, uh, who so, they're protecting. Uh, so Martin, what are your thoughts on Ryan's comments? You know, I, I agree. Um, I agree in many ways, although I will say that of all the legislation proposed out there, the least I'm concerned about is that one about marketing, and here's why. If you are USC, if you are University of Michigan, if you are Ohio State, your marketing is on the football field for three months, six more, four or five months a year, and then it's on the basketball, basketball um, court. Um, nobody says, Ohio State, never heard of them. Um, if you are St. Mary's, if you are Swarthmore, if you are one of the smaller um, liberal arts schools who a lot of people have heard of but are not nearly as well known because they're not constantly being advertised with their, their massive, um, you know, whether their campuses are on TV or movies or their te sports teams are out there, you, you're really going to be crushed by a regulation that says you can't send a brochures out because it's sorry, it's it's too much. It's uh, it's it's regulated. Um, and going back to what Ryan is saying, the uh, you know, I've I'm not against government regulation in general. I'm not against laws being passed. However, there are unintentional consequences. Just the, this morning on National Public Radio, they're having a story on the when they set up rules about 10 years ago, maybe it was 20 years ago, saying you cannot consider the home value when determining someone's need for their loans, for their school loans, um, because people's homes weren't worth a worth million dollars, but that's not liquid, so it's not really affecting how much they can really afford to pay back. Well, now homes are underwater, and mm -hmm. if you did consider the fact that the home is now worth a tremendous, very little, if, if not negative, from what it was bought for, then it would really help the parents. So the fact they put that law in place when things were go, 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 and no one could conceive it being bad, 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 is one example of this and a lot of unintended consequences. Industry, uh, interesting. Um, that's a really interesting point of view. So, Shane, um, you, <laughs> you have a bit of a libertarian bias, but uh, you have good insight here. So what are your thoughts on what uh, Ryan and Martin have to say? Well, I, I actually have more of a bias towards small business. And so what my belief is that the, the original target of the regulations that came out last year were the, whatever, 12 public companies that enroll approximately 40 to 50% of the career schools uh, in the U.S., right? The, those are the public companies that, they have, you know, collectively have probably half the market share, roughly. And so the regulations were designed to hurt them competitively to kind of rein that in because they were taking, getting too much student loan money from, in the opinion of the powers that be. So, Shane, so, if I could just jump in. So what you're saying then is the private career schools have, or private schools, 10% market share, 30% of the student loans kind of thing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so I believe the regulations were designed, or the intention was to cripple the public companies. I think the effect of them has been that they cripple the, the small operators, the 
the mom and pop schools and the you know one to three campus schools, and here's why: the 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 regulatory burden to keep up with the paperwork and submit all the stuff you have to submit and kind of be attentive to the requirements of your creditor and of the Department of Education is hard, right? It's a ton of work. And big companies have the benefit of having departments that can handle that. Little companies don't. And so it takes uh, the owners and senior managers away from the kind of running the business and meeting the needs of the student and puts it on meeting the needs of the regulators. And I, I personally, I think that's unhealthy. And all it's going to do is increase the market share for the you know, 12 or so public companies and hurt both innovation and student outcomes. You know, that's a really interesting take, man. That's, uh, that make, that, that's really an interesting perspective. Uh, Fred, you know, you're in the trenches on this. You're, you're actually the uh, benefactor of the uh, additional regulations. And Shane, I think, makes an, an interesting point of view here. Um, it's, what do you have to say about this? A lot. <laughs> no, okay, um, no well, not, not, I'm not going to do uh, But the thing is with this marketing thing, the 10%, it, that does include your admissions rep salaries also. It's not just um, television, radio, print, and, and any other outreach activities. So it could greatly affect many of the private schools because unlike the public schools, the universities and state colleges who have automatic feeder systems called K-12 through and community colleges, and like was mentioned earlier, the football teams and the huge alumni associations and all that, um, us down here um, in the private vocational school world, we have to fight through all of that um, and and don't have that type of legacy, don't have that type of um, feeder system, and it's in everybody's mouth, right? While you're going through grade school, you got to go to college, or otherwise you're not going to amount to anything. Um, we have to fight through all of that because not everybody does need a degree in this world um, to be successful. And so to send that message out and to fight through all of that and, and to have a voice costs money. And so it's an indirect attempt to minimize us and to minimize our ability to communicate our good programs and our good results to the community. And I take exception to that. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a belief of regulations are good. We do have to have regulations in place. We need to keep people in line polluters, um, people who are trying to harm people. But I think this one is um, a, a direct attack on private schools. And that's the way I see it because I deal with budgets. And although we're behind that 10%, we're below that 10% as far as pure advertising dollars to recruit our students. Um, but when you add admission salaries onto that, it's going to throw it over 10%. And so, what do you mean? Yeah, sorry. By private school, you meant private for profit and private non profit, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to find, because we are the innovators, okay? We are the innovators in the education industry. 
I mean, you know, there were schools that came out with online education, and now all the all, all the establishment has been trying to get into this this arena. Um, we are the innovators in a lot of the ways that we market to students. That um, and I've worked in the um, uh, for a university as a division vice president, and I, you know, over eighty percent of our students were referral. We didn't really have to advertise that much. I've seen it firsthand. But us in the private sector, we have to, and you know, to kind of fight through this. So, you know, we will find ways to get around this if this is what they want us to do because we're that innovative. Uh, but there are, there is going to be a fallout of all these regulations. Somebody mentioned this. You know, there is going to be a fallout. There's going to be schools that are not going to be able to, you know. Um, comply with 90-10, with the advertising 10%, and all these things that they're throwing at us, ATB going away. There's another one. Um, this, this complete and direct assault um, on, on educators that provide education to people that the public sector will most likely never be able to provide training for. Uh, for many reasons, and one of the big reasons is that they don't have enough space. They're, they're full. Where are these people going to go? Fred, so, can I? Uh, this is Ryan. I, I, you know, I, 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 I don't want to add fuel to the fire, but I think that you know, it, it kind of goes into the Martin's comment about the unintended consequences. I'm not necessarily sure it's entirely unintended either, but it, it it's going to be even more of a requirement to be innovative. Uh, right. If you're a, a one or two person operation uh, managing a, a school to do this, here's here's I mentioned that that interview I did with Michael Crow at ASU. So ASU mm -hmm. is is a huge operation. Um, it's the it's the public not for profit side of things. Um, they are absolutely going to have troubles with with um, uh, public uh, funding from different from different levels, state, uh, federal levels. But what what is interesting is where they're headed with certain things. So Michael Crow mentioned to me yesterday that the online program for ASU um, is is on track for a hundred million dollars in in tuition wow. revenues. A hundred million dollars from a, an online program from a not for a public not for profit. And the question I asked him following that up is, are you competing now? Are you are you are you setting up yourself to be a competitive entity for what has been um, most innovated by the for-profit sector when it comes to online? He mm -hmm. said no. Um, now, I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that he is he is he is saying that no, I'm not uh, trying to be a market competitor in that way, but. His goals with the institution drive him to do that because he has to come up with money that is no longer coming in from the state. So if he creates an online program, if he uses the resources um, that he has available to do that the right way, and, and, and additionally to that, just know if, if anyone is familiar with the ASU program, it is, it is very strongly um, supported with that, that same sort of model that Tutor established, um, where there are um, excellent... Uh, excellent businesses that are participating in the development of that program to the level uh, that it's at right now. It's not just ASU's own um, um, experts in, in education figuring this out. They, they've absolutely looked at, at what works for for-profits, understood, uh, uh, sought to understand how that innovation works and how the process works to best fulfill okay. that, and have gone out there. So that's going to be a challenge that's going to happen um, uh, from the, the, the public sector as well. 
Okay, so uh, that's a good thrashing of that topic. The uh, so regulation is uh, is good, uh, but misplaced, it can in fact uh, attack the cauldrons of innovation in the industry. So, okay, Greg, uh, folks, yes. Sorry, I, I took one other insight from that, which is that the public system's looking at the privates for um, clues, mm-hmm. right? And that if we perceive, like we primarily deal with private sector for-profit schools, and the the perception is that the competition is amongst amongst themselves, and I think that's false. Is what I'm taking away from that last little jagged talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the public sector is actively looking for clues on how we have succeeded despite um, some barriers and is trying to employ that stuff. And so there's, there's co- some point is there's competition from multiple um, uh, places right now. And probably it's going to get worse. You're getting uh, arrows fired at you from all directions. Yeah, well, I think I- so. Yeah, and, and just real quick, if I may, um, you know, for those for those that feel that Republicans are looking out for us, um, there was an article that circulated uh, recently, and if I can find it, I'll forward it to you, uh, Greg and and Shane. You may already have it, where um, it puts a little bit of doubt into that. Um, uh, the article went on to say, and to summarize really quickly, is that in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, Republicans liked, um, you know, the edu- education and, and, and were okay with funding it uh, because they needed workers. They needed skilled workers because we actually had manufacturing plants in this country and we had call centers and we had people actually doing work in this country uh, at, a, at a high level, a much higher level than we have now. Well, in the past 10, 15 years, I'm sure nobody on this call is going to be foreign to this, is that we've done a real nice job of outsourcing a lot of jobs out of our country. So why do we really need to fund more education? Okay, this so is gonna, This is going to hurt public and private education. Uh, I think we're just doing a poor job of, of communicating to our government and to the movers and shakers in this country of our value, and that was highlighted a couple of years ago at ABSCU by Joe Scarborough, who opened the session, and former President Bill Clinton. Uh, All right, we're, so, we're, we're so, just not doing that. So I'm going to just jump in because, my goodness, that's a one-hour conversation. That little comment right there, and uh, folks, we are over time, but we're going to keep going. We have. We have one more disruptor to discuss, and we're going to keep going. If you have to drop off the call, so be it. But uh, we have an artful uh, discussion here. Uh, the third disruptor, uh, third-party Internet providers seem to be winning the day. Uh, and what I mean by that is they're, they're taking over most of the real estate on search engines. So uh, they're also fully integrating with call centers, and so the question is, as a, as a disruptor, is are the internet marketing company, is the internet marketing company tail wagging the higher education dog, so to speak? So I, I'd like to rely on uh, Shane here to kind of set the table and kind of reframe what I'm saying there in another way. Thanks, Shane. You, you, like you're setting me up for a rant there, pal. 
No, um, no, I'm setting you I'm up. I'm going to keep I, my my opinion is is probably well known. I I think that yeah, of course it has, and that the um, industry has abdicated its kind of marketing responsibility to uh, paper lead providers, and it's manifested in a lot of negative ways. Um, but I, I actually want to defer this one, and maybe I'll weigh in afterwards. I'd, I'd appreciate to know um, uh, probably Fred's thoughts initially, because he's, the I think, the most actively involved in marketing. Well, before we get to Fred, I think we'll just, uh, we're going to start with Ryan. W- Ryan, what okay. are you... What are your thoughts there uh, yeah, on Shane's, Shane's waiting for the end there? I can understand. Thanks, you know, and I, I think, you know, I, I have um, a lot of thoughts on this, and I think that it is one of those, um, um, maybe it is good to go to me first because it's, it's a slightly outside perspective on what, what I used to be heavily involved in myself um, when so, I was inside. So, Ryan, for the, so Ryan, for the, the, sake, the sake of time, I want you to focus on your one key thought. And well, we'll my one key thought is I do think that um, the the portal format um, is a major is a major problem out there in the end for the for the schools themselves because my biggest issue with it is it all relies upon you trying to differentiate your school with a hundred word blurb and a logo in somebody's portal out there. Um, and I don't find that to be an accurate way to actually get students who are truly interested and committed to going to the school that you want to go to, because it's ultimately not your voice. I, I've written about this. Um, I've done uh, projects related to how do you truly access um, real students who are going to be um, out there and, and working for your advantage in the end. And my opinion in the end is that um, if, if you're relying solely upon paper lead as a volume format to drive uh, massive amounts of traffic, then you're going to continue to feed portals. You're going to continue to push yourself further and further out of um, um, organic search rankings. And you're going to be limited to 100 words and buying this lead from people in that way. And that one of the best sources and best methods that you can be looking at is, is innovation and, and saying, um, how do we actually get our voice of our school out there? And for me, in my experience doing this work um, and testing and piloting different ideas in the past, um, social media, um, the concept, not necessarily going to Facebook um, or other social media sites, but the concept of using um, social methods to actually show people your school, to take what you do and how you operate out from behind a learning management system firewall and publicly showcase your instructors, your other students, your, your, your um, staff members, and to be out there and be present, those will ultimately outrank anything out there that's being paid for if done effectively. You're, you're okay, producing so volumes of content. You're producing, you know, you have students and faculty and everyone talking all the time in your, if you're online and you're doing things in a learning management system discussion forum. If that okay. was out there in the public, it would blow it away. It's an innovation that you should all be thinking of. Okay, good, good points, excellent points. I'd like to, to draw on um, Fred. Uh, Shane was interested in your point of view. Let's hear what you have to say about this. Woo, we can talk about this for hours. Um, <laughs> well, so well one, I come, one key point. I, yeah, I come, I come from a different direction on this. I think most people would think that I'd be, you know, hot, hot, you know, hollering and uh, about how bad internet lead providers are. Um, you know. I, I think it's really the responsibility of the institution. If you don't have somebody internally that understands Internet marketing, um, then it's your fault. 
and relying on some third party to manage this for you. Um, all of my vendors, uh, and, I, and I utilize many, many of which most schools use, know me well and know that I know this industry well, and we hold them accountable. I think that Internet vendors are being painted with a very broad brush like many of us schools are, and I think it's not fair. Um, I think there are a lot of affiliates and sub-affiliates that are creating the majority of the damage out there where most of the aggregators, at least in the past six months or so, of the ones that were not doing a good job have cleaned up their act, have added internal compliance departments and checkpoints. I mean, it's not going to be a perfect system. Uh, we Internet lead development is one part of a multifaceted approach to marketing um, that we take. Um, it's a, it's a catch-all also. I mean, we run our TV commercials, print ads, all types of marketing, and 70-80% of respondents go to the Internet, whether it's our website or they type in a keyword, and then the results are some of these aggregators. So if you're not out there, you're being foolish because you're losing out on prospective students that are matriculating to the Internet from your other traditional or offline advertising activities. So what your, your, your theme really here is to take control of your... your you have to take control. You have to have strong agreements with them. You need to communicate with them. You need to share information with them. Uh, You've you got to have a very strong relationship because they have a lot of worth. I mean, they're, they convert much higher for us than most schools do uh, because we have these things in place and we have an internal call center. And, you know, we just don't go blind on this. There are bad players out there. There's no doubt about it. And, I, you know, I've cut them off in the past, and I watch them very closely, and there's some that I will never do business with. Okay, but so it's not all a bad thing. I mean, they do so, uh, provide a service out there. Okay, so, uh, Shane? Or, sorry. Well, Ryan, actually, actually look, look. Let me add one one thing to that, and and I want I want to absolutely support Fred's thought on that. I don't want you know what I said to be misconstrued. There are a lot of great people out there. My charge is is innovate. Now whether that's a, a portal or a school doing it directly, it, it's about looking at you know I, I know we've got a an innovator's dilemma that we found a system that works really well to drive all of this traffic. But if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to get entrance from people with um, all sorts of reputations and all sorts of motivations. And if you do the, if you're a portal and you're doing something well, we work with a lot of them as clients. Keep, keep innovating. Keep working to make what you do better for your clients out there, and and that's important. So that's I just wanted to add that. I yeah, think there's no, a lot no, of no great doubt. people out there. No okay, doubt. So, no gentlemen, doubt. I, gentlemen, I'm interested in uh, Martin's point of view. Martin. Uh, what do you have to say about this? Uh, do you think this is uh, an overblown issue, or or uh, the internet providers uh, controlling the internet? Well, I, I <clears throat> Fred nailed it. That, that for every Joe's Lead Shack, there are massive, legitimate providers out there who have a great who have a great product. Because the fact is, if you want to go to beauty school. You're in a beauty school directory. That's just the way it is. That they have such great SEO, such great SEM. They own that space, and beauty school directory is going to be the place where people go. So that's ultimately going to roll up to platform. And is it 
fair to say that they own that space? Well, that's I'm not sure. It's 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 kind of a you know the horses left, the cows left the barn on that one. They own it. It's just the way it is. Um, so as Fred was saying, it's silly to rage against you know rage against the machine for this type of thing. Um, that that said, there are a bunch out there that are crap, and a lot of providers, even the huge legitimate ones, were and I say were in the past tense were were using crappy leads to fill the volume for their schools. Um, okay, so I'd, I'd like to just redirect this a little bit and go to Shane now. And that is, Shane, so there are good lead providers and bad ones. So the overarching question is, there's a finite amount of what I'll call real estate on search engines for keywords and what have you. Uh, well, that, yeah, that's my issue. I don't, you know, t- truthfully, I don't, really, I don't care one way or the other whether there's good guys or bad guys. We, we don't buy leads from them. We don't aggregate leads in our business. So it's not, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Um, the the I think the bigger question, the bigger problem is that, like in any given market, I just did a quick search and picked a major market in Canada, and searched medical assistant program, looked at the ads in Google, and fully half of them are non-schools. They're people selling leads to schools, right? And so what happens is that because there's more competition in Google, prices go up, so it costs more to generate a lead to self-generate a lead, and for us. Three years ago, we generated a lead for most clients for maybe between 20 and 40 bucks, and now it's 40 to 60 bucks uh, plus. You know, 70, 80. We're seeing leads that hey, now it's 90 bucks a lead to generate uh, something through Google, and what has clogged that up is um, not only competitors. It's it's not competitive competition with other schools in our little ge- geographic region. It's competitors with vendors who have driven the costs up. They have fundamentally different economics than we do because they can take that lead and sell it four times. And so it can monetize at two or $300, which is their language, uh, versus the, uh, what we can afford to pay for it. And that's my biggest issue with it. They've driven up or contributed to driving up Google costs. They've also contributed to uh, pr- what's prolific brand stealing, Right. You have to now pay um, people to go hunt the Internet and scour for places where people have taken your brand without your permission and are using it to advertise, not necessarily for your own benefit. So it's created a whole level of measurement and frustration and you know, legal monitoring that didn't exist 10 years ago. It's, it's, it's terrible. That's my major problem. They've just created more expense and grief for us. Have um, have any of you guys have any, have any of you guys had any interactions with uh, Google's uh, higher ed team that's now actually out there trying to work with the the, the for profit sector on on marketing practices? Oh yeah, we deal with Google all the time on behalf of clients. We probably I don't know or, or manage a couple hundred thousand dollars a month in in Google ad spend. You know, if you add it all together, but it's and sure Google may or may not try to solve this and. But what ha- my perspective is that we bought into a faulty model fundamentally without really thinking it through, and it's proliferated in a bunch of negative ways that has added more complication than I think it's solved through the simplicity of, hey, I'm going to buy a lead and I can just pay 50 bucks for that versus the kind of proper marketing management that existed prior to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But that, so, that's, my, that's my bias. I, I, you know, I, I have... It's an opinion only. Well, that's exactly right. It's, and 
these are all opinions which I find fascinating, and it's a well-rounded exchange uh, with four uh, highly dialed-in people here, folks. Um, what uh, we're going to do is uh, is the perfect jumping point to end our call. Uh, two things: we're going to uh, provide a free uh, mystery shop, uh, uh, a, a web user experience mystery shop for the first. Uh, five people who uh, want to text their information. And the number is 250-888-7111, 250-888-7111. And if you want to just text your information in, we'll, uh, Paul Bertarelli will set you up. And uh, the second thing is, uh, is uh, we wanted to talk about um, very briefly about ABSCU and uh, the conference. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all at Abskew in Vegas. Uh, hopefully some of you are going to be there. Uh, any final words before we leave uh, from our panel? Uh, Shane, I'll give you the last word. What do you have to say? I say um, thanks, everybody, for showing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got no platitudes <laughs> left. <laughs> so uh, we're going to end the formal part of the call, but the panel's going to